water superhero diver Ed, captain of the Starfish Enterprise. A mission will be launched on Sunday, September 14th, leaving the Northeast Harbor Town Dock at 1.30 in the afternoon. On board the Starfish Enterprise for about two hours of historic rectification and scenic rubbernecking with the Boat Talk guys, the media, the Mount Desert Historical Society, and Cherry Garcia. Details of the mission can be seen at our website, weru.org. And people who can't make the cruise can still participate. Just check out weru.org or boattalk.org for all the details. Tickets can be had by calling WERU during regular business hours at 469-6600. Just another example of how Community Radio, WERU-FM Blue Hill, is protecting our heritage by member donation. Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported, nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainefarmlandtrust.org. Time is one minute past 10 o'clock. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming worldwide at weru.org. Stay tuned for Common Ground. Good morning, and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and agriculture here in the state of Maine, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is C.J. Walk, and I am your host for today's show. Common Ground Radio is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. here on WERU. We are open to suggestions on future topics and guests for the show, so please feel free to contact us with your thoughts and ideas through our website, www.mofka.org. For today's show, we will be discussing the use of antibiotics in livestock, in livestock production and its effects on livestock and human health. Antibiotic resistance is becoming a major concern in national and global discussions of human health and the future of healthcare across the world. Research shows that 80% of antibiotics sold in the United States are used in animal production. Most of this use is on confinement farms and feedlots where livestock receive non-therapeutic doses of antibiotics to boost growth and prevent health issues that arise in crowded conditions. This widespread use of antibiotics in livestock production is contributing significantly to the increase in bacterial resistance to antibiotics, not only in human, not only in animals, but also in humans. This bacterial resistance often confounds the ability of healthcare providers to help their patients. Uh, according to the Center for Disease Control, there were an estimated 722,000 healthcare-associated infections, referred to as HAIs, in U.S. acute care hospitals in 2011. About 75,000 hospital patients with HAIs died during their hospitalizations. The National Academy of Sciences reported 
that a decrease in antimicrobial use in human medicine alone will have little effect on the current situation. Substantial efforts must be made to decrease inappropriate overuse in animals and agriculture as well. The Food and Drug Administration recently, in recently issued voluntary guidelines for livestock producers focusing on non-therapeutic non uses. So moving on to the show, I have a couple of guests here in the studio with me today. And we have a guest on the phone. But before we get to those introductions and discussions, I'd like to make listeners aware of a few upcoming food and farming related events that they may find of interest here in our community. So tomorrow, September 6th at 4 p.m. in the Blue Hill Library, there is a free presentation on Seed Saving 101 in the Scattered Se Scatter Seed Project presented by the Deer Isle Hostel. On September 9th, the Mofka Farm Training Project workshop on seed saving is occurring, and it seems to be that time of year to think about saving seeds. And that begins at 5 p.m. at Seven Tree Farm in Vassalboro. Then later this month, the State Board of Pesticide Control is organizing a free disposal of banned or unusable pesticides. This is a free disposal program open to homeowners, family-owned farms, and greenhouses, and collection sites will be in Presque Isle, Bangor, Augusta, and Portland. You do need to pre-register for this program, and the registration deadline is September 26th. For more information, you can go to the Board of Pesticides the Board of Pesticide Control website, which can be more easily found by searching for the main Board of Pesticide Control rather than me trying to give out the full uh, website URL here, or you may call area code 207-287-2731. And lastly, on September 19th through the 21st in lovely Unity, Maine is the 38th annual Common Ground Country Fair where gates uh, open at 9 a.m. each day. And I had a couple notes here from the fair office to pass along as information to listeners um, that there will be construction on the road through Benton and uh, the recommendations are to take alternate routes 137 through Winslow and then route 202 slash route 9 that goes into Unity. Um, there's also information about a change in ticket price for this year and for more information on that, please feel free to go to the MOFCA website at mofka.org or give a call into the office at 568-4142. So um, now we get into the topic for today's show and get that business out of the way. Uh, I have a few guests with, he with me here on the show, like I said, and I'd like to give an introduction of each. And then we'll go back around and they can tell um, a little bit more about the work that they do and, um, and how it relates to the topic for today's show. So Don Honig is here with me in the studio, and Don was Maine State Veterinarian for most of his career, overseeing all livestock and poultry health, especially diseases relating to human health. His work integrated animal health, public health, and environmental stewardship. Uh, Dr. Honig, now retired from the State Veterinarian Post, works part-time as an extension veterinarian with the University of Maine and continues to consult with Maine farmers and raise public awareness of problems associated with overuse of antibiotics in livestock. He also served as an American Veterinary Medical Association Congressional Fellow in the office of Senator Susan Collins and now serves as the Chief Veterinary Advisor for the American Humane Association's Humane Heartland Program. Thanks for being here, Don. You're welcome. 
Also in the studio, we have Paul Volkhausen. Uh, Paul and his wife, Karen, own and operate Happy Town Farm here in Orland, Maine. Paul has been a Mofka-certified organic farmer for over 25 years and has been deeply involved in the organic farming movement here in Maine, as well as international efforts toward farmer solidarity through social and economic justice as a member of the Mofka El Salvador Sistering Project. So thanks for being here, Paul. You're welcome. And we also have on the phone with us today is Jennifer Obadiah. Jen is a New England coordinator for the Healthy Food and Healthcare Program of the Global Coalition Healthcare Without Harm. Um, <clears throat> Jen conducts research with Farm to Institution New England and is adjunct faculty at the Friedman School of Nutrition, Science, and Policy. She has over 10 years of experience in community-based education and food access programs. Uh, she has conducted research on the Healthy Corner Store and managed the Boston Bounty, Boston Bounty Bucks Farmers Market Incentive Program. A major initiative of Healthcare Without Harm is reduction of antibiotic use in, an, in animal agriculture. So thank you for being with us here today, Jen. Thank you. Okay. And even though I've given a brief kind of overview of people, of the background of our guests here today, I would like to circle back around and give each of you uh, the chance to kind of introduce the work that you do and how it relates to the topic for today's show um, and kind of flesh out a little bit more than, than what I just kind of read here um, from my notes. So, Jen, would you like to take the opportunity to go first and tell us a little bit more about um, the Healthy Food and Healthcare Program and Healthcare Without Harm? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on the, sh on the show, CJ. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Sure, sure. Um, so Healthcare Without Harm, like you mentioned, is a global coalition. It's a, an environmental health organization that works to leverage the role of hospitals to improve both environmental conditions and public health around the globe. And like you mentioned, here in the United States, we have a program that's called Healthy Food and Healthcare, um, and that really focuses on improving the nutrition and the sustainability of food that's purchased by hospitals around the country. Um, and our, our main campaign right now is around antibiotics in, um, in agriculture and specifically working with hospitals to switch their meat procurement practices to sources raised without the routine use of antibiotics. Um, so we work with hospitals all around the country, including hospitals here in Maine. In fact, we were over at Maine General yesterday um, learning some more about the great work that they're doing. Um, in reducing the uh, meat raised with antibiotics that they're purchasing um, and with other hospitals across the state. Um, and, and really, you know, our, our campaign has sort of two approaches. We work on procurement strategies and then we also work on, on policies. So from the um, procurement angle, we work directly with hospitals to help connect them with sources of um, beef, chicken, pork products that are raised without the routine use of antibiotics. And then we're also working at the national level with a, a group of organizations like Real Food Challenge that works with colleges and School Food Focus, who works with K through 12 public schools, um, to really leverage our collective voice as institutions that are saying, you know, we, we serve our youth, we serve the sick, and we want to make sure that we're providing them with the healthiest, healthiest most sustainable options out there and make sure that we're, um, you know, preserving the use of antibiotics to protect public health. Um, and then from the policy perspective, there are a couple of 
pieces of legislation that have been introduced, although unfortunately they've stalled out both in the House and the Senate, but um, have been introduced, one of which is um, co-signed by Maine's own Susan Collins um, to preserve the use of antibiotics for, for medical treatment and to reduce its use in animal agriculture. So we're really trying to, trying to work on this angle from, on this issue from, from all different angles. Okay, that's great, Jen. Thank you. Um, yep. Thanks again for being here. And now I'll turn to Paul Volkhausen. Paul, if you could just tell a little bit about your farm and maybe your history farming in Maine. Sure, thank you. Uh, with my wife, Karen, uh, we, as CJ said, we own and operate Happy Town Farm. It's a diversified, certified organic farm. Uh, we raise vegetables and flowers. That's a major part of our operation, but we also have sheep uh, and poultry that are certified organic and then pigs that are not. Um, I've been involved with MOFCA since uh, the, almost the very beginning, and uh, uh, MOFCA has been very supportive of me and my farming uh, education and uh, <laughs> success or lack of. And uh, <laughs> um, so I'm happy to be here today. All right. Thank you very much, Paul. And Don, you want to tell us a little bit about kind of your background? Sure. Um, as you said, uh, I was a state veterinarian for many years and retired in 2012 to do a fellowship in D.C. and actually worked in, on this bill that Jen um, referred to, the Preservation of Antibiotics for Medical Treatment Act, when I was in Senator Collins's office. And then I've, since I've come back here, I've, uh, I've uh, work, been working for extension part-time um, out in the field doing some work with farmers on um, health issues and quality assurance and so forth. And also been involved with the American Humane Association Farm Animal Welfare Program. So um, this is a topic that's of, been of great interest to me for probably eight or ten years. And um, so uh, I'm happy to be here. I've um, been listening to the station for since its inception. And I'm um, also a MOFCA member. I've been a MOFCA member for many years. Um, do you think it might be useful to, to just tell a little bit about how antibiotics are used in animals at this point? Yeah, it would CJ. be good to, um, I think, maybe a little bit of a uh, touch on a bit, just kind of of the history. Sure. I can't imagine it's been in practice for centuries, but also sure. really how is it used? And I know that there are some yeah. different, different methods. Yep. Well, I think the antibiotics go back to the 40s, and pe a lot of people know of Alexander Fleming, who um, basically discovered penicillin and then received a, a Nobel Prize uh, along with two others in 1945 for that discovery. And penicillin had a, a big role, I think, in, from what I read in World War II in preventing a lot of infections and saving a lot of lives of soldiers. And um, so um, an antibiotic is a, uh, a, a Micro, a chemical substance produced by a microorganism uh, capable of inhibiting the growth or killing other microorganisms in a nutshell. Uh, antibiotics are either produced naturally or synthetically. So since the 40s, um, there's been an antibiotic revolution that has saved a lot of lives. Um, antibiotics are used in farm animals generally to treat bacterial infections as they are in, uh, in humans. And you can obtain antibiotics uh, for animals in one of three ways, either over-the-counter, um, mm -hmm. which um, you can just go and buy them, uh, prescription, where you need a veterinarian uh, to write a prescription, or what's called a veterinary feed directive, which is similar to a prescription. They're used in different ways in animals, either therapeutically, and under therapeutic, 
um, we have um, either treatment, prevention, or control. So that's therapeutic. So you could treat a condition such as pneumonia or skin infection caused by a bacteria. You could prevent or prevent a disease such as diarrhea in baby chicks or mastitis in dairy cows. Or you can control a disease such as a disease called shipping fever in a group of cattle that are going to be transported a long ways. Um, so that's therapeutic, treatment, prevention, control. Then what we've been talking, what you started talking about was another category called non-therapeutic or what some people also refer to as production use. And those drugs are approved for um, feed efficiency or growth promotion uh, by the FDA. And non-therapeutic use of antibiotics in feed or water is most common in chicken ra chickens raised for meat, broilers, um, turkeys, in swine, and in some beef feedlots. And although the exact mechanism of feed efficiency growth promotion isn't really totally understood, it's, it's thought that some of these antibiotics help boost growth in these animals by eliminating some harmful bacteria from the animal's gut. So, um, but, but one thing that's important to remember is that since 1993, all antibiotics that have been approved for use in food producing animals have required a prescription or veterinary feed directive. The non-therapeutic drugs that, we've, that we're going to talk about, or the feed efficiency growth promotion drugs, are over-the-counter. And they have been over-the-counter since they were a whole, a lot of them were approved in the 60s and 70s. And I've actually done some searching for it, and it's, it's hard to find online when they were approved. But they've been approved, they've been used, and um, there's a major change in policy that we can talk about a little bit um, that's been imp that's come about in December of 2013 on part of the FDA. So okay. maybe I'll stop there. I've been talking okay. too much. So. No, no, no. This is all about talking here and discussion today. <laughs> okay. Um, so a little bit, that's a little bit of the background kind of on the animal livestock side, but... Um, Jen, I wanted to ask you a little bit of, um, if we're thinking about antibiotic use kind of starting in the 1940s or so, do you have an idea of kind of when issues in human healthcare um, to resistance building up in different uh, bacterial diseases started to show itself or when really that red flag popped up saying, hold on, something needs to be changed here? Yeah, you know, I, I don't have an exact date for you, but, you know, um, like the doctor was just mentioning, um, you know, antibiotic use as well um, as in animals and human health really did um, start to come about around World War II um, and really was responsible for saving a, a lot of lives um, at that time. And, um, you know, its use has continued to increase, you know, both in animals as well as in human health. Um, and, and so really... I think it's probably over maybe, let's say, the last 15 years or so that the conversation is evolving around concerns that this overuse of antibiotics is starting to lead to this development of resistant strands of bacteria. And so really what, what, what we're concerned about is it's about eight different classes of antibiotics that are used in, currently used in both animal and human health. Um, and looking to protect those strands that are those classes of antibiotics um, to be reserved for human health. Um, 
there are other types of bacteria, I mean, sorry, other types of antibiotics that are used specifically in animal agriculture that are not quite as important for, for, for human health. So it's really those antibiotics that cover um, both categories, both animals and humans, that we're, that we're looking to protect and to have taken out of that non-therapeutic category so that they're, they're not included in, um, in feed and not used as growth promotants. Okay. All right. And then, um, Paul, I wanted to ask you just a little bit, having been uh, organic certified organic farmer for a while, um, pre the 2002 kind of switch over to USDA. And I was wondering, say, in the early days with MOFCA certification, what was the original view on antibiotic use? Well, I think organic farmers have always been concerned about antibiotic use in animals and wanted to to reduce that um, to the lowest level possible. Yep. We're also concerned about our animals' health, so if antibiotics are needed for health, we want to be able to use them. Mm -hmm. uh, when MOFCA used to run the certification program before the National Organic Program came in, we would allow an animal to be treated with antibiotics if it was uh, needed and uh, recommended by a veterinarian. And then we had to use uh, twice the withdrawal period that the, uh, the label required. And we felt that was safe so there'd be no chance of an antibiotic, resist, uh, antibiotic residue in the, in the meat. Mm -hmm. um, when the National Organic Program came into effect, it basically said that any animal that's going to be sold for meat as organic cannot be treated with with antibiotics so if you have an animal that needs antibiotics you have to withdraw that from the organic certification program and there are very few situations over the 25 years we've been raising organic animals that we've needed antibiotics uh, but there are times uh, the the most common for us has been attacks by dogs where a dog attacks a sheep and and mm -hmm. um, damages it severely and you really need to treat it with antibiotics to save its life and uh, the other is when you've had to intervene um, in a birthing situation mm -hmm. uh, and you want to prevent infection but other than that we haven't had to use antibiotics for anything else and um, so most of our animals can be certified organic, even if used that are you know seven or eight years old when they mm -hmm. when they're done producing. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, I just want to take a minute to remind listeners that you are listening to Common Ground Radio, uh, an hour-long discussion of local local food and agriculture here in Maine, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. And today uh, we are talking about the use of antibiotics in livestock production. And here in the studio with me, uh, we have Don Honig, who was the state, uh, the state, the main state veterinarian for the majority of his career, and uh, Jennifer Obadiah from Healthy Food and Healthcare Program, um, working with Healthcare Without Harm, and Paul Volkhausen from Happy Town Farm, right down the road here in Orland, Maine. Uh, we'll be looking to open up the phone lines very soon here. So if any listeners want to call in with any questions for our guests or comments on the topic, uh, you are more than welcome to do so. 
Um, and that phone number that you would need to call is toll free at one 625 9378 And I'll say it once more, one 625 9378 We always enjoy the phone calls here. Um, so Don, I wanted to ask you, now that we kind of have a little bit of the history and the background, um, I, I was just kind of curious about, it seems like the initial use for uh, antibiotics was really focused on human health. And then somewhere there must have been the switch where, sure, it could work for animal uh, bacterial diseases also. But then where in the livestock meat production, dairy production world was it realized that somehow this is going to also help boost production or feed efficiency or growth rates? I assume it was someplace back in the 1950s or 60s when um, antibiotics were, somebody added antibiotics to feed um, for either a number of species and noticed that there were better growth rates. And then during that time, the FDA approval process for antibiotics was not as stringent as it is now. So a lot of these um, antibiotics got approved for use uh, under this feed, feed efficiency growth promotion um, classification. But um, I think one thing would be helpful for listeners to know is that that um, situation after many years of um, controversy is, is changing now. Um, and uh, a very, very significant change on the part of the FDA is a proposal uh, that they put out in December of 2013 to, uh, over the course of three years, remove growth promotion and feed efficiency claims for these drugs that are administered in feed and water to livestock and poultry, and secondly, to um, impose some sort of veterinary oversight. As, you, as, you, as, I, as I said earlier, um, currently these feed efficiency growth promotion antibiotics are over the counter, so they do not require a veterinary, um, veterinarian involvement. So they're, they're doing two things. They've said that um, the feed efficiency growth promotion use is what they call injudicious. They made that statement a couple of years ago, and they also made the statement that they're, they uh, need to see more veterinary involvement. So um, it's going to be a voluntary um, compliance policy guide on the part of the FDA over three years. And when they, when they announced this in December of 2013, they gave the drug companies 90 days to declare their intentions. So by March, they had heard from 25 of 26 um, drug companies who manufacture these antibiotics that they would comply. And then within a month or two, the 26th company um, said that they would comply. So now the 26 out of 26 companies that produce these uh, antibiotics for in the feed administration in the feed and water for feed efficiency growth promotion have said that they will remove those claims and then they'll need to reapply to the FDA for some sort of therapeutic approval, either prevent either disease treatment, disease prevention, or disease control, and the FDA will require veterinary involvement. They haven't said yet whether they're going to actually require a veterinary prescription or what's called the veterinary feed directive. They think they're heading in the direction of veterinary feed directive. So I, in my mind, this has been long overdue in coming. Um, not everybody in our profession agrees with that, but I think that um, it, is, um, it is a step in the right direction. 
um, towards better control over the use of antibiotics in farm animals and um, towards having uh, more involvement of veterinarians. Okay. Yeah, and can I just add a quick point there? Absolutely, Jen. Um, yeah, I, I agree um, with, with Don that, you know, this is um, a step that we've been waiting for from the FDA for, for quite some time, and we're very excited that they um, have asked the pharmaceutical companies to remove the claim that um, these antibiotics can be used as growth promotants and that the pharmaceutical companies have decided to, to do that voluntarily. Um, I think, you know, what we're really hoping from FDA is, like Don mentioned, you know, they've, they're saying that there should be some sort of veterinary oversight, and so we're really looking to them to provide more clear guidance on what that looks like. Um, so, so we really look forward to, to hearing um, how, they, how they roll that out and how they clarify that guidance um, and to, to having conversations with them about, about what that needs to look like to make sure that these antibiotics are used in the uh, most judicious way possible. Okay. Um, and actually, uh, on the, the note of um, positive stuff that have happened along these lines, um, we actually just got good news yesterday. Purdue put out um, a press release saying that they were no longer going to be using antibiotics in their hatcheries, which is, um, which is pretty exciting that such um, a large mainstream chicken-producing company is really taking this on and, and largely removing antibiotics from their um, from their production. So, so that's an exciting step forward, and we, we really hope that other companies will, will see this as a sign that, you know, this is really what's important for, for human health, for animal health, and that this is what the market is really starting to demand, and that we'll start to see a shift more broadly. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was really good news, too, as Jen said, that um, when a company like Purdue, which is a major um, major player in the marketplace, comes out and says something like that, then it also tends to put the pressure on other um, other producers in the marketplace to um, uh, to think about uh, doing something similar. So, I you know I tend to be an optimist on on a lot of things, and um, on this, I think we're heading in the right direction. Um, and uh, it may not be as fast as some people would like to um, see, but um, it, do, making change in, um, on this type of, a, of an issue um, is, is extremely difficult, but it's been coming for a long time, and um, I think we're heading in the right direction. Okay, and then I wanted to ask, just to get some clarity on those uses, we talked about the therapeutic and the non-therapeutic um, so I'm just wondering, Paul, as a farmer, is is this something, um, say, is there an antibiotic, maybe penicillin? Is it something that is maybe on hand as just in case? Because I'm sure if infection strikes, um, what's, what's the access to something like that over the counter? Um, For us, we go through our vet our veterinarian. Um, if we have an, an, an injury or a situation where we think we might need it for therapeutic uses, we go to the vet and and get it. it you know, the antibiotics have an expiration date and if it sits in the refrigerator for too long it's not any good anymore anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, we get it from the vet and follow the, the prescribed uh, doses and 
uh, administration. It, it may be getting a little bit off topic, but on, from what to follow up on what Paul said, I mean, I wish that the North National Organic Program would um, reimpose those um, permissions for organic farmers to use um, antibiotics under the direction of a veterinarian on a targeted basis and go with double withholding times. Because I think what it does is it puts farmers in a very difficult position of, of maybe withholding treatment for a little bit longer than they really should, um, as opposed to treating an animal quickly and knowing that that animal will still be part of the organic um, um, herd, uh, although having a double withholding time. And I, I just think that was a step in the wrong direction for the organic program, in my opinion. <laughs> I agree, but I've learned to live with it over the years <laughs> and yeah. accept the fact that that if I need to treat an animal, the animal's health is, is yeah. my primary concern, not where the market, right. <laughs> what the market's going to do with that animal yeah. in the end. So. And I'm sure most farmers are like that too, but mm -hmm. it would, I think, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, care of the animals is the priority yep. here. Correct. Um, <clears throat> so there was another question uh, that I had heard come up in some of the, the work in, in preparing for this show. And that was a question, and Jen, I'm going to direct this one to you at first about um, about labeling of, of food products for consumer awareness in um, in the marketplace because, I mean, there are a lot of labels out there, um, and I'm wondering, are there kind of movements for awareness of consumers about whether or not these products have been, or antibiotics have been used in these food products? Sure. That's a, it's a really good question, and it's something that we struggle with a little bit because um, there's not a lot of transparency around um, practices specifically for, for large, um, large operations and, and um, major companies that tend to contract to smaller farmers. Um, so there are labels that consumers can look for. Certainly, if something's labeled organic, they know that it hasn't had um, any antibiotics at any point in its life. Um, Food Alliance certified is the same. Um, then there's also certified humane. Um, and then this um, never ever three, which is something that I've just learned about more recently, um, which is no antibiotics, no growth potents of any kind, and no animal byproducts. So um, it's another concern in animal agriculture is the use of animal byproducts in feed. So that's a um, another component of this certification. So I would say those four certifications, so again, Organic, Food Alliance, Certified Humane, and this NE3 or Never Ever 3 um, are labels that consumers can look for. Um, there are certainly a lot of other animal products that have been raised without non-therapeutic use of antibiotics. And honestly, I think one of the best ways to know that is to know your farmer. So you know, when you're in the supermarket, you can't, um, you don't have that type of access to information. So you certainly need to rely on, on labels. Um, but if you use your farmer's market or participate in a CSA or just happen to live near um, a farm that produces meat that you're interested in, talk to your farmer um, and ask them, you know, what is their practice and, you know, make a decision that feels good for you. Additionally, if you don't see any of the products with the labels that I just mentioned at your supermarket, 
ask the supermarket manager and say, you know, this is important to me. I want to keep shopping here. I want to buy my meat here, but I want to buy this type of meat. I want to know that that the meat that I'm buying isn't going to contribute to antibiotic resistance in humans. Um, and same thing at your restaurants or, you know, your schools, wherever your kids go to school or if you're in college or if you work in a hospital, talk to the food service directors at your institutions and tell them this is important to you and this is what you want. It might be worth saying here, CJ, that in Maine, um, since our farmers are not heavily involved in um, broiler production, um, big-time turkey production or big-time swine production, that there's very little, if any, to my knowledge, use of non-therapeutic antibiotics in the feed and water for animals that are raised in Maine. Um, you know, our dairy industry uses none of those antibiotics. Um, mm -hmm. And um, our even our layer industry, which, you know, has, has kind of a, a checkered past, but it's it's a significant economic factor in Maine. Um, those types of antibiotics are not used uh, in the layer industry. Um, they're primarily used in those those segments of the in industry that I mentioned. So I think, if, as Jen says, if you can somehow um, buy local, know your local farmer, and as you said, organic is going to be antibiotic-free um, from the get-go, uh, I think you can be assured that you're going to have products that are have not had those uh, non-therapeutic antibiotics administered to them. Okay. All right. And I just take a second here again to remind listeners that you are listening to Common Ground Radio. And today we are talking about antibiotic use in livestock production. Uh, our phone lines are open if you're interested in calling with a question or comment. And that toll-free number is one 866 um, and back to that <clears throat> know your know your farmer piece, Paul, I wanted to ask you, as a farmer, do you, I'm going to assume, but I'll ask if you have customers that are coming to you because they want to have their meat products antibiotic-free um, in, yes, in addition to we, your organic practices. Yes, for sure. And in the you know vein of know your farmer, we have a lot of people want to know exactly how we raise our animals even if they're certified organic, they want to know more than that. And so, yes, I think know your farmer um, mm -hmm. and ask your farmer. And livestock farmers or vegetable farmers, they're all going to be happy to talk about what production practices they use and uh, explain the circumstances of when they might have to use an antibiotic and what happens in that situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And then, um, <clears throat> Don, I wanted to ask, is there, is there proof about the antibiotics improving the feed efficiency and growth production? Has there been research behind that, do you know, or is that more anecdotal in a way? Or? Uh, no, I think there has been research done comparing um, some of these antibiotics, um, adding them to feed and then not adding them to feed. So I think there is a positive growth effect. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the concern over the years has been the constant administration of low levels of antibiotics and the ability of that to contribute to resistance. I mean, we know that every time an antibiotic is used, there's the possibility of resistance, whether it's used in the feed or whether it's used to treat, uh, you know, a, a tooth infection or or uh, pneumonia or something like that. There's always going to be um, the possibility of resistance generated. The 
But um, the criticism for agriculture has been is that, you know, we've been administering these low levels of antibiotics in large quantities for a long time. The evidence that this has created resistance infections that have then been passed on um, to people that have then had a treatment failure is very thin at this point. Um, those, those instances are extremely small. Um, but theoretically, um, it's possible and, and it has happened in a small number of cases. And as time goes on, perhaps it, it might become more prevalent. I think as Jen would probably has has alluded to, and you did in your um, in your introduction, you know that there are um, a, a couple of million people who acquire serious infections with resistant bacteria, and twenty three thousand die according to a CDC website. But most of those are um, are not the vast vast majority of those are not um, from infections acquired through um, exposure to animal protein. Um, they're because of hospital and hospital infections, hospital acquired infections, and so forth. Um, but still, you know, agriculture needs to step up and and um, and do our part to try to um, address this this just extremely serious problem of antibiotic resistance, which you know potentially could bring an end to the antibiotic era if we don't get a better handle on it. So. And how, Don? How does that how does that resistance build? I guess within the bacteria. Well, I think the way that it happens is that um, the more that antibiotics are used, um, the, the more that there are a certain number of bacteria that survive, and then those can become the dominant um, the dominant strain. And we've seen that in a couple of cases with the methicillin-resistant Staph aureus and um, vancomycin-resistant um, bacteria. And so um, when that happens, then these types of infections become much more prevalent and harder to treat uh, in, in humans. Um, and, you know, we have the same concerns in animals, too, that uh, we don't want to generate um, a, a resistant strain of bacteria um, that we're unable to treat. Mm -hmm. So, And as part of it, the um, my understanding is that bacteria reproduce rather rapidly. So yeah, they, they those can. resistant traits yeah. could be passed along generation exactly. to generation. They, they, depending upon the bacteria, they can reproduce extremely rapidly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and CJ, one yep. other thing to add to that, if I can, um, you know, certainly one of the things that um, you know most important is is preservation of of, of life and human health. Um, but there's such a, a, a strong and, and really um, uh, conversation going on right now about the affordability of, of, of health care and, and how are we going to address health care overall in our country. And I just wanted to point out from a sort of cost-saving uh, perspective that um, longer hospital stays to treat these bacterial, these bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics, you know, that leads to longer hospital stays, and it's estimated that that costs somewhere around $21 billion every year. So, um, so there's a, a strong economic argument as well um, for, for addressing the uh, growing antibiotic resistance. Another 
thing to mention um, is that um, there are um, government agencies currently that have been for a number of years um, been tracking uh, resistance trends in people, animals, and in food. So you have the, um, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which tracks samples from human labs for resistance. You have the um, U.S. Department of Agriculture, which collects samples to monitor trends in animals. And then the U.S. Food and Drug Administration monitors trends in retail meats. And this is done under the um, something called the National Antimicrobial Resistance Monitoring System, or NARMS. And NARMS data is published every year. And the most recent um, report from the NARMS data is, is somewhat positive with some bacteria, as, uh, which seems to be showing that maybe some of the resistance trends are going down, but, um, but not for others. So um, it is being monitored um, by these three government agencies. And the other thing is from the veterinary perspective, and I know the human uh, physicians have taken a huge role in trying to um, get a handle on resistance in people, but veterinarians are required under their license to um, administer um, drugs and antibiotics under what are called judicious use principles. So this involves everything like um, the proper storage and disposal of outdated drugs, correct administration of antibiotics, that is, are they administered orally, subcutaneously, intermuscularly, um, in the udder, in the case of dairy cows, proper dosages, proper concentrations, um, and they're also required to um, recommend to farmers that the proper meat and milk withholding times are followed um, and advising farmers on the correct um, use of antibiotics. So as part of our, our veterinary license, we, we have to um, follow judicious use principles. So, you know, there, there are... Um, um, controls and uh, monitorings that are have been you know are going on with respect to antibiotics. Okay, and I take another moment here to remind listeners that you are listening to Common Ground Radio here on WERU, and we are discussing uh, the use of antibiotics in livestock production and its effect on livestock as well as human health. The phone lines are open, and that number is one eight six six. Six two five nine three seven eight. I just had a clarifying question, and I think Paul, I would ask ask you first here, with um, having to go through the veterinarian. I'm wondering, in order to can the farmer administer that antibiotic, or is it something that needs to be administered by the, a veterinarian? We can administer them. We've been taught how to how to administer them. Uh, usually, it, it's a, a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, the, the the vet gives us the syringes and and um, you know provides us with the syringes and provides us with the antibiotic and the education and the you know you were mentioning the proper dosage and another thing that our vet stresses and my wife being a nurse practitioner stresses is the to complete the dose that if it says use it for 10 days to use it for 10 days don't stop at five days because you don't see any symptoms but it's important to to you know follow the directions whatever they be the other thing i wanted to add about organic uh, production is that you know we don't rely strictly on antibiotics to to 
maintain our animal's health that mm-hmm. that our belief is a healthy animal um, you know will be resistant to problems on its own and we do other things like herbal treatments and homeopathic treatments and mm-hmm. and so that antibiotics are are kind of the treatment of last resort for us rather than the first thing you do if you have a problem and I think that's important for for everybody to, to think about that you know, overuse of antibiotics in animals and in humans is a real problem. Yeah, and I think that's good to point out that a tool of kind of last resort there rather than uh, the subtherapeutic that's getting fed out mm-hmm. daily, twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. For sure there. Um, Jen, I wanted to, I wanted to ask if um, just on the human health side, this I just find this resistance piece uh, really interesting and are there any I mean are there any diseases or afflictions for humans that um, resistance is showing uh, is building and is obvious and I think I would afterwards ask Dawn the same question for, for livestock health um, so um, the one that, that we hear about the most is um, with regards specifically to um, staph infections or staph Staphylococcus aureus, uh, pardon my uh, pronunciation there, um, that is resistant to methicillin, um, which is an antibiotic used both in uh, in humans and in animals. And that um, Don mentioned that you know the CDC reports around twenty three thousand deaths a year related to antibiotic resistance, and, and it's estimated that about nineteen thousand of those are from this. Um, staph, the strand of staph bacteria that's resistant to mesolacillin. Yeah, in animals, CJ, um, I work with dairy farmers for um, a couple of decades when I was working for the state, and one of the one of the um, practices that we would always recommend for dairy farmers is to dry treat their cows, um, all their cows, and basically what it involves is um, putting a tube of antibiotic um, in the udder uh, at the time that, that cows are drying off. And there are a number of um, antibiotics that are approved, and that is, that's um, done under the either the treatment, because there, there could be an infection present at the time, or the prevention um, uh, mode. Uh, and I always had a concern that, um, that over time that we would might see resistance uh, trends um, to that practice. But I was was never really able to um, see it uh, except in one instance on a dairy farmer that had been using a specific drug for many, many years. And when we did some bacterial cultures there on the farm, we found that um, a particular bacteria that his cows were infected with was resistant to that drug. Mm-hmm. So we made the recommendation that he change that practice. And, um, and, and so um, that was one area that I had some concern about, but I didn't really see um, a, a a lot, if any, and here it is. Here again, it's an anecdotal um, report. It's something that I saw in the course of 25 years of working mm-hmm. with dairy farmers. Another area where we really have seen it in veterinary medicine is not with antibiotics, but with treatment of parasites. Um, and um, a lot of these parasites, um, worms that that animals get, are becoming resistance resistant to some of the. Um, some of the um, drugs that we've been using to treat them. So we've had to um, be more targeted in our approach to parasite control. Um, you know, when I was in practice 
25, 30 years ago, we used to recommend for people with sheep and goats that they worm their animals every year, all of them. Now we're recommending that they do, a, that they actually examine each animal and use a technique uh, to judge the, the how, how anemic they are. It's called FAMACHA. But, mm-hmm. um, and um, so using that technique, um, you can pick out the animals that actually have the worms that are causing anemia and then just target those animals. So. You know, we've had to adjust veterinary medicine. We've had to adjust our um, treatment um, practices with respect to parasite control. Um, but I, I haven't seen, a, um, in my experience, a tremendous amount of resistance um, um, to antibiotics at this point. Okay. Okay, and I know that, <clears throat> you know, I've, I have, I've read in, in agriculture and literature a lot of... Um, pest reports and things, and there's always recommendations of not using the same material over mm-hmm. and over for mm-hmm. those reasons, yep. as well as kind for of sure. mi- mixing them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And, can yeah. I just add one other thing? Of course. Um, you know, I just, I just wanted to point out, I think it's interesting, Paul mentioned as, a, as an organic farmer that it doesn't come up for him very frequently that he has an animal that's sick that needs, um, needs the use of antibiotics. Um, I, I think that a lot of this conversation also goes back to what are our overall growing practices, and I'm sure that's something Paul can talk to um, much more intelligently than, than I can, but I, I think that it's important to look at you know, the overall health of animals and what the conditions are that they're being raised in that is leading to this desired um, use of non-therapeutic antibiotics, and that there's sort of a, a broader shift that, that um, is slowly happening and that, in my opinion, needs to happen. Um, in, in animal agriculture overall, that is, um, you know, and that this overuse of antibiotics is a symptom of that. Okay, and that's um, that's that's interesting to hear because when uh, I think you had mentioned the the increase in cost or the twenty one billion dollars a year in extended mm-hmm. health care coverage, that made me think of. Uh, I would assume that the subtherapeutic use in livestock production was focused on the end result of economic gain, where it seems like the overuse now is affecting that economic gain and materials need to be rotated around and approaches need to be changed. You know, one example that um, people bring up uh, who are who are on both sides of this issue, um, you know, either on the agriculture side or on the consumer side, that where people have been, um, you know, advocating for agriculture to reduce their use of antibiotics is the is Denmark, um, where they did, um, uh, you know, eliminate uh, antibiotic use in feed and water, and back probably, I think it was 2000, and, you know, when you look at when you look at that data, it, it's it. I always the expression um, where you stand depends upon where you sit, I guess. And so <laughs> you you can kind of spin that data both ways, depending if you're an agricultural proponent or a consumer um, proponent. Because yes, overall uh, tonnage of antibiotics did go down in Denmark by a significant amount, but for a period of time um, that it took farmers to adjust to the new. Um, the new situation, uh, there was more antibiotics used for treatment 
than there had been before because they uh, animals were, were getting sick from diseases that had been held at bay for a while. So, um, you know, how you use that data, or whether that actually worked is, is, is like I said, is a matter of, um, of which, which side of the fence you're on. Um, but, uh, and they've also looked at resistance trends for bacteria from that data and seen it kind of both ways. But um, that is an, ex an experiment, really, that we could look at and, and possibly Hello? learn from to see what's going to happen, what may happen in this country if, um, if we go towards where we're going, which is not a total ban, um, but which is a, will greatly restrict the availability of these, uh, of these drugs in the future three years from now. Okay. Well, we are getting into the final minutes of the show here. Um, so I just wanted to <clears throat> put out there, um, we are talking about uh, the use of, of antibiotics in livestock uh, production. And as we get into the last few minutes, I just wanted to mention that um, Dawn and Jen will both be panelists at a public policy teach-in coming up we shortly. Will. Um, at the Mofka Common Ground Fair on September 20th at 2 o'clock with Dr. Sears and Jen and um, I think Alice Percy is the, uh, for, is the other um, panelist. She's an organic um, farmer from uh, the uh, Midcoast area. So, yeah, be the four of us. Should be interesting. Okay, it looks yeah, like... Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Yes. So if people were interested in, in learning more, that seems like... A very uh, a good venue and a near date yep. to learn a little bit more. Um, we do have just a couple more minutes, and I was wondering if uh, Jen, for you, if people were really interested in um, in more information, or is there a way that they could get a hold of you or places where they could find that information that you would recommend? Absolutely. Um, people can always go to our website, which is no harm dash uscanada.org. Um, again, that's no harm dash uscanada.org. That's our North American website. Um, I'm also always happy to answer questions myself via email, and you can reach me at jobadia, that's O-B-A-D-I-A, at H-C-W-H, healthcarewithoutharm.org. Okay, Jen, and I'm realizing that I think I mispronounced your name at the beginning of the show, so I'll apologize for that. That's fine. <laughs> it happens to me sometimes, too. <laughs> um, Dawn, and your work for Extension? Yep. Um, you could reach me at Doc Honig, D-O-C-H-O-E-N-I-G-V-M-D-78 at gmail.com. I've found the, the most useful um, websites that I've found on this topic, and they're pretty, I, I would say, um, objective, I think, are the CDC um, website and FDA has a really good um, website on antimicrobial resistance and where they're, how they're positioning themselves. And uh, I think it's, it's the data that everybody can get. And, uh, okay. So, uh, but yeah, the good I'd be happy to, happy to talk with to anybody by email. And yep. Paul, you'd be on the farm, I imagine. Yes, yes, anybody can come to Happy Town Farm and uh, talk anytime. And uh, um, I would just say if you want uh, the best quality and to know where your meat comes from, buy organic and know your farmer. Thank you. Okay, well, I think we are very much at the end of the show here. 
Uh, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in and thank our guests here in the studio. And give also a thanks to Joel Mann for engineering the show. And thank you to everyone for listening to Common Ground Radio here on WERU-FM 89.9. Have a good day.